Welcome to the Carrot and Stick podcast, a podcast series where we look to get under the skin of all things sales and recruitment to understand what makes our wonderful world tick. Today, I'm sitting down with Reese Warren, and Reese is an interesting individual because his background is very similar to mine. We both used to work in the esports arena, video game commentary, if you aren't quite sure what that is. But the beautiful thing is, he's also been working in recruitment for the last seven and a half years, spending the vast majority of that at a company in London called Few and Far, not few and far between, just few and far, before very recently making the choice to move out to Dubai, joining a whole new company to bring a lot of management structure in place. Reese has got loads of advice in this episode on how not to manage people, why you shouldn't want to be a manager, and tons of stuff around when, when you should make the choice to move on, how ultimately when you're managing managers, you're really trying to put yourself out of a job, and some really fun little stories that I've absolutely loved hearing. It's a fantastic episode, like so many of them have been, and Reese has got so many stories to share. So without further ado, let's get into it. It's Reese Warren from Discovered Mena. Right, Reese, lovely to speak to you, my man. We had a good chat before we came onto this and started hitting the record button. And you said, Can I a little bit go a little bit rogue on this one? And I was like, What do you mean by rogue? And the first thing you said was that the main topic you want to go into is why people shouldn't be managers, which I love because I had a little chat about this before as well. I think some people see that as you have to be a manager to progress in your career, that it's the only way to go. Whereas as people tend to find out being a great salesperson doesn't mean being a great manager. So give me your spin on that. We'll dig into that first and foremost. Cool. Um, firstly, thanks for inviting me on. Um, I feel honored to be in your, your presence, kind sir. Um, <laughs> so the, the topic that, that you've mentioned about why people shouldn't go into management, I think it's important because like you say, at the moment, I work in recruitment, right? So what typically happens, and I'm sure that's true of the rest of the sales industry as well, is that people that, that bill really well and they sell really well, typically always go down one route, and that is managerial, because we've been programmed <laughs> at a human level, I think, to associate success with how big your team is and how many people you manage and so on and so forth. When in reality, I don't think it should be like that. And Again, working in recruitment, there are some amazing billers I've had the chance to work with, some amazing salespeople who are incredible when it comes to negotiating and finding quality people and managing processes effectively. But the moment that you give them any type of responsibility emotionally for another human being, man, it's, it's a car crash because the skill sets are just so completely different. So I guess the conversation I want to have is, I think we need to move away from the biggest billers and the best salespeople going naturally down the managerial route because I guess their managers think that, well, if you know what you're doing and you're billing so much, then you can train someone else to do exactly the same thing. And in reality, I think that's probably the worst thing that can happen for two reasons, right? The first reason is because, first of all, businesses will lose one of their best performers because you'll distract them. They'll be going from doing what they're so excellent at and they can do it all day, every day to give them a brand new skill set, which they might not be as good at taking them away from the thing that they've been so successful with. So financially, it can hurt businesses. Um, and the second reason is ultimately around retention um, and training and development. So if you have these new staff coming through and they are working with first time managers or people that have never had to develop, I guess, those, those leadership qualities or coaching qualities, they're just going to leave. Um, and everyone's going to be frustrated about that. So then the first time manager will be like, well, I don't want to manage anymore. I'm sick of it. I've had enough of it. I've seen it personally with people that I've worked with um, in my teams where exceptional billers 
But the moment you give them emotional responsibility and say, okay, now it's about motivating people, they completely crumble. So um, people should realize that not being a manager actually is, it's, it's a, an okay route first and, and foremost. doesn't mean you're any less successful at all. If anything, it means that you are a master of your craft. You're exceptional at what you do. And there's no shame in not wanting to, to listen to people's problems or to, to upskill people that don't have much experience or are perhaps struggling in, in what they do. So, yeah, that's the nature of the chat that I'd like to have with you. But I don't know if that made any sense. No, it, it does make total sense. And I'm obviously I don't know this, but I'd be really curious to know if this links back to almost like psychology of humans, right? When you look back to more like a more primitive day for the human race, essentially, there probably was once upon a time a thing where everyone aspires to be the leader of a pack or leader of a tribe or whatever it might be. And it's just that pre-programming to say, okay, look, you can be amazing by yourself, but managing a team of people, that is that next step up, like you say. And to give you a little bit of challenge around this, I guess, is where, because I imagine there'll be some like directors of accomplices into this as well, or sales leaders who are thinking, yeah, this is all well and good. Don't promote your good performers. What am I going to do then? Either hire externally and bring people in above my team that's going to frustrate them, or do I find middle of the pack performers and say, hey, you're not an amazing salesperson. You make a great manager. <laughs> How would you go about approaching this if you were told, okay, you've got to find a manager now to come in and manage people inside of your team? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I want to kind of give you um, an analogy that I was given. Right. This was about six months ago. I love um, analogy. Go for it. Yeah, and this was in um, a book called Coaching for Leadership. And it's called the tennis analogy, right? So long story short, there was an experiment done. I don't have all the facts and figures, so it's more of a principled argument. So there were two groups of tennis players and both groups had never played tennis before. They were very similar demographics, same age, background, etc. And they were given two separate coaches. One group was given one, the other obviously the same. The only difference between these groups is that one coach was a semi-professional tennis player and the other coach had never played tennis before, was basically just your average Joe from that perspective. And the experiment they ran was that um, after a period of time, they first of all assessed whether or not people's ability had improved or how much people's ability had improved in tennis and also who would like to continue playing after these sessions. And um, when one of, my, one of my, my friends told me this analogy, I was like, okay. And he said, okay, who do you think was most successful? The former semi-pro player or the person that had never properly played tennis? And my immediate answer, and, and hopefully yours is the same and, the and everyone else's, right? yeah, it would be the semi-pro. Because, well, mm. he, he knows what he's doing. He's played at a high level. His technique is going to be much stronger and so on and so forth. But the actual answer was the person that had never played tennis. That coach performed better in terms of getting people to a higher level, but also getting people to carry on playing. And there's one key reason for that, and that's because... When you have someone with expertise, what you typically find, and this is incredibly true in recruitment, when I heard this analogy, I was like, oh my God, I've seen this myself, is coaches or managers get very, very frustrated at things that people are doing incorrectly. So things that they're doing wrong. So for example, if I threw the ball up and I served and the ball hit the net, the, the semi-pro coach would say something on the lines of, I'm sure saying, okay, Listen, you need to change your body posture. You need to change the way that the racket comes down, etc. It's very technical, but it's ultimately focused on things that someone is doing wrong. Mm. The other coach, on the other hand, because they didn't have this semi-pro background, 
if someone had threw the ball up to serve and they hit it into the net, the first reaction as a coach would be like, first, great job hitting the ball. It's like, fair play. That's, that's amazing. Like, well done. Um, but maybe try tweaking it like this. See, see if that works. That's ultimately the, the analogy, right? Where it's one is focusing on the negatives and what people are doing incorrectly or could be doing better. And the second one is focusing on the positives, which in turn has an emotional consequence, Motivated which is people don't fix yeah. it, right? Exactly. So people don't mm. feel like a failure. They don't feel like they're terrible. They may, they may be aware that they're not great at tennis, right? In this uh, analogy. However, that, that emotional side of, do you know what? Yeah, I can do this. I did do that well. I did hit the ball. It's exactly the same in sales as well. Um, so for, I've, again, worked with people where um, they've been very, very strong billers. And you hear the line of things like, well, this is what works for me. Or this is what has yes. worked for me. We talk about this a lot. Yeah. Man, it's so backwards in the thinking. So I've had conversations um, where, you know, I've worked with other managers and they've said something like, well, I don't understand why this person just doesn't do that because that works for me. And I don't want to go too much down that route because <laughs> I think it's quite self-explanatory why that's a bad mentality to have. But oh, in I that mean, situation... Honestly, mate. We've got like first-hand experience. I mean, if you listen to this, I apologize for using you as an example, but our last VP sales that we had had a certain way of opening up a call, which was something along the lines of, you know, oh, it's an absolute pleasure to be able to speak today. Thank you so much for taking the time. One of our sales guys, bless him, Sam, is like your classic, like, if you could think of a stereotypical salesperson, that is Sam. He's a bit like a bit of a smooth talker, likes to chat. And he was like, if I say that, I'm going to feel like an absolute moron opening like that. But our previous VP was like, well, look, it works for me. Therefore, open it this way. The guy tried it, hated it. It didn't work out. So I'm completely aligned with what you say is, you know, if someone's got that experience of doing it themselves, they do tend to say this worked for me. Therefore, it will work for you. But everyone is just so different in the way they talk, the way they think, the way they process information that it just doesn't work like that, right? Yeah, completely agree. Um, and to go back to answering your original question, because I, I think it was a, a good point, which is, well, who should directors replace these people with um and who should they have as managers um i think there's really two options so the first option is what you mentioned which is hiring externally and having an interview process which is centered around leadership and coaching styles and emotional intelligence and understanding of the core pillars of ultimately the consultants they'll be working with because if you hire someone that doesn't have relevant sales experience and then tells people how to do sales it's really yeah, bizarre no and just, it, yeah, it, it won't work. Like the team will just say, who is this, this weird person that you've hired that doesn't know what I do? Um, so again, having a, an anti-industry process on that front, focusing on the correct things that aren't, okay, well, how much, for example, did, did you sell? How much revenue did you bring in? As a leader, that's not your primary responsibility. It's to facilitate others to bring in that revenue. So your questions, therefore, should be focused in, in that domain. And the second option is to promote internally. And it's not about taking people that aren't necessarily um, performing well. Instead, it's about having a framework within your business, which um, incentivizes promotions and assesses promotions based on not only the revenue, but also the behaviors. And um, whilst I was at Few and Far, we, we introduced something called the PGF, which is the Professional Growth Framework, which works super, super well. But prior to that, all we had was, if you bring in X amount of revenue, you hit your promotion. And then if you hit your following promotion, that's when you're going to be able to make your first hire. And people go, wow, that's amazing. That's great. 
there was there was nothing else. So when we introduced the pro professional growth framework, um, based on some bad experiences that we had with people at the time that were working there, and it was more focused on behaviors about, okay, how do you support your colleagues? How do you, for example, boost morale? How do you mentor those around you, even at the same seniority as a peer? Focus more on those types of qualities. So again, if business owners are listening to this and like, well, all I would ask is think, okay, do you have someone else in your business that demonstrates those behaviors exceptionally well and can still perform solidly enough on that sales piece where, again, you can start pushing them down that manager route because they're demonstrating those characteristics and qualities. Our job as leaders and sales leaders specifically is all about facilitating revenue to come into the business. It's about upskilling through allowing people to make mistakes and talking them through processes where they can ultimately learn from your failures or learn from their own in, in a safe way. Um, if someone in your team is scared to be like, oh, well, you know, I've messed up. If they're scared to bring that to you already, there's a cultural problem, right? So in short, is having, having that side of things nailed, I think is really important. Mm, I love that. To be honest, there's one that there's a book that I absolutely love that I tend to recommend all of our like managers or leaders read. It's a it's a book called The Making of a Manager by Julie uh, Julie Zhao. She used to work at Facebook, and she, like a lot of others, was a really good individual contributor. Got moved to being a manager, and she was then having that really awkward position of managing those that used to be her colleagues, and that's a really difficult spot to go in. And she basically documented over those first 18 to 24 months, all the things that she learned that she got wrong, what she realized was the right way to manage people, the wrong way to manage them as well. So I'd always point people who are a little bit unsure about how do I be a great manager? Start with that book. It's definitely not sales focused. I think she used to be a product designer, but all the core principles of how to manage people, how to communicate, the cadence to operate to, I think it's absolutely brilliant for that sort of thing. And there's, like you said, there's so many things out there. Your book, Coaching for Leadership, I imagine offers a lot of similar things as well. Mm. Yeah, for, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, whilst you were speaking, I was just thinking about my first experience as a manager, and I was awful. Again, because of the way that we had the structure in place where it's like, I'd build a certain amount of money. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to hire someone now. And my mentality genuinely was like, do as I tell you to, right? Because this works for me. And, and that was something I just felt was normal. I felt it was appropriate. And what happened is the first three people that I worked with in a mentoring capacity or a managerial responsibility, they left. Like these people don't speak to me to this day, right? To this <laughs> day, I remember their names. They leave bad managers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, serious, serious. So on that standpoint, like uh, I remember sitting down with, um, with my boss at the time and I said to him, I was like, why are these people leaving? And he was like, well, really think about it. And I went away and I, I looked at my notes and I was like, was it the fact that I'd hired bad people or whatever else? I was like, no, it's because I'm dreadful. <laughs> I'm awful <laughs> as a manager. Because again, my promotions weren't focused on any behaviors. It was all about pure revenue. So in that sense, the business didn't know if I was going to be a good manager or not. All they knew is that I was good at bringing in revenue. But again, the skill sets are so completely different. And the reality is I shouldn't have been allowed to have been a manager. I wasn't emotionally ready. And I was a bit of a dick, to be honest with you. Um, and then after, when you learn from those mistakes and one of my, my key jobs now for the past few years has been upskilling people to become first-time managers. And I always tell those same stories where it's like the first person you manage, you're going to learn so much about yourself and you're going to feel like you're going mad and you're going to be frustrated because they're not going to be as good as, as, as you are. 
Um, and it's normal to feel that way. But mm. what I want people to learn from me is don't be a dick to those people because it's not those fault, uh, their fault. I was a dick to people. They left and they, they would never speak to me again. And I can guarantee you every time they see me pop up on, on LinkedIn or there's a conversation that comes up about, you know, their time at, at the business um, whilst obviously we were together, they're only going to say very negative things. And it will be about both the business as well as me as an individual. So yeah, learning, helping others learn from your mm. mistakes, I think is, is absolutely critical as well. well. Let's do that right now then, because you've said you've been helping people kind of scale up to be first time managers. That's been your recent focus. Give us the top three things that you advise people looking to become managers for the first time to look at or think about. Uh, good question. First thing, um, and I say, so I've just joined um, a company called Discovered. Um, I've moved from London over to the Middle East, so I'm based in, in Dubai. And I've inherited a, a team, I think about 11 people right now. I've got no experience in, in this region whatsoever. Um, and the first thing I had to do was think about these things during, during my career break of like, well, why should these people buy into me? How can I upskill people, et cetera? Because during the interview process, the, the founder said, we want to create more managers because our, our, our structure is way too flat, which means that they have to do so many reviews and so many coaching exercises and so on and so forth that you're working in the business rather than on the business as, as senior people. So the first thing I said to um, the people we identified as potential managers, always team first, team first, no matter what. When you hire yeah, so someone- close to saying one of our values there that is team first always. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but for, for me, it's so important because that's what I didn't do. It was not me against them, but it was, they're lucky to be in my presence. If they want to learn off me, then they can. It was a little bit, again, individualistic. Mm. So what I said to, to the team here was when, when we hire and we're in process of restructuring and changing reporting lines, whoever's in your team, you must remember it's team first. Um, if one of you does um, a deal or a sell, you did it together. Like you did it as a team and as a collective. So having things like team targets on KPIs, I don't really like individual KPIs in that sense. It should all be about, okay, you as, for example, a two or three or four, whatever, your target is to send out 80 CVs collectively to have 60 first interviews to bring in X amount of revenue and just focusing on team. And that's it. The, the second aspect I would always recommend is um, accept that people will not be as good as you at the job. Um, for first-time managers, the biggest frustration that I had and that I always see is when, <laughs> when you're trying to upskill someone, you have to give them a lot of olive branches, right? You have to give them some, some leads. You have to give them the opportunity to learn processes and to also make mistakes. And one of the, the key areas I've seen a lot of first-time managers fail is they won't allow the people in their team to fail and to make mistakes, which is invaluable for their development. And instead, they'll have the mentality of, they're just not as good as me. I'm just going to do it myself. Yeah. You cannot have that mentality if you're in a leadership role. It's as simple as that. Um, so that would be the second thing. And the third thing, um, oh, I really only have those two, to be honest with you. Um, You've got to have more than that. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any like, set principles per se. Um, oh, okay. Final one, uh, celebrate success. My, if my former team are listening to this, they'll kill me for not remembering that because that was one of my key mantras. If you have an opportunity to celebrate something positive, you must celebrate it. 
it doesn't mean you have to go and get champagne. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, go on a wild, crazy adventure together. No. Instead, if something does, um, if someone does something well, tell them and celebrate it with them and say, great work. If you're in a leadership uh, role where you're leading, for example, team meetings, highlight it in that team meeting as a collective that this person's done something exceptional or done something great that they should be proud of. Because again, from that emotional standpoint, when you celebrate mm-hmm. success, it gets addictive. And it's just that those release of endorphins, right? Where it's that recognition piece that people feed off of, especially in sales. Most sales professionals I've ever worked with are so driven by being recognized as either being great at what they do or being successful, whatever it might be. So facilitating that recognition and celebrating success, especially in sales where there are so many rejections in Mm -hmm. every line of sales, when you eventually do get that acceptance or do get that piece of positive news, you have to celebrate. And uh, yeah, that's something that's massively important to me. And I really want to slap myself for not remembering that because that's pretty (laughs) shocking. I think it's massive across like any team or role that you manage well, not even strictly sales, right? Like it's one thing I reflect, remarked on about probably or reflected on about three months ago was I turned to our VP sales, Chris, who's like brilliantly senior, knows what he's doing, super smart guy, very cool and like chilled and mellowed out. And I've never really turned to him before and said, you've done a great job there. Well done. And I said it to him, I think for the first time about two or three months ago. And I was like, you know, he really appreciated it. And I was just like, yeah, we don't think to really say that enough. Sometimes as leaders, you're so focused on, what you're trying to achieve and pushing out and managing your teams. Like it, it gets that level, the kind of higher up you get up the tree, the less it becomes a thing that you think about doing, but it is super, super valuable. Even just shooting someone a message on WhatsApp and saying, you know, I'm really glad to have you in the team. Thank you so much for all that you do. That can make someone's week, regardless of whether they're an IC, whether they're a director of a company, it doesn't matter. It means an awful lot just to get there. And you feel good for saying it as well, right? So no one loses out in that situation. It is completely true. But again, it ties back into that piece of um, managers comparing themselves to the person that they're they're working with in their team now, where Mm. um, to you, for example, closing, I don't know, your first signed client, for example, um, it might be normal to the manager because they've now closed so many in their career. But actually, if they were to go back in time and they remember their moment of closing one of their first sales in the business or signing a, a client for the first time, if someone goes up to me and be like, well done, that's, that's amazing. Like you should be so proud of yourself. You don't need to be too cringy with it, right? But it's just that pat on the back, which again, it goes a massive way when it comes to, to motivating people to go and do it again and to go and achieve more. And, and again, it gets quite addictive. So mm. yeah. And I'm with you on that. Sometimes the pat on the back and just saying, well done, you know, great work. That's all you got to say. That can be enough. Mm-hmm. It hasn't got to be anything massive or a bottle of champagne like you suggested, though. We do see that quite a lot in recruitment, especially, <laughs> hey? Oh God! No, oh, don't get me started on that. Um, listen, I, I I used to get bottles of champagne. I used to love it at the time. Don't get me wrong, but for me, it wasn't the champagne. It was the fact that I would stand in front of my company and people that I respect so much turn around and be like, you know, this guy's done a good job. That's what I wanted. I wasn't bothered about having a, a bottle of champagne at forty quid from Sainsbury's or something like that. But again, it's all about just celebrating those wins because there's not many in sales, and you have to enjoy them whilst they're, they're in front of you. Totally agree. Awesome. That was a good chat. She had a good like, 15 minutes on that. I want to go a little bit on to the other two areas we spoke about. And I want to flip it a little bit because we said we were going to talk about you coming into a role, an established team in a new country, what that was like. I'd like to go back to the decision that actually led to that as well, because you were at Few and Far for a good seven years. At that point, you've been with the company through a long journey. You've seen it change. You're really kind of part of the furniture and bought in. 
what was it? I'm not going to say here, you know, shit on the old companies to work for, for example. <laughs> but what was it that led to you taking such a big leap of faith, going from a role that you were comfortable in in a city that you knew in London to moving to a whole new company halfway around the world? What was the mm. what, what triggered that? Yeah, it's um, it, it's a really good question. So I've got nothing but but good things to say about few and far. Like I, I still talk to a lot of people in the company, the founders especially, where. We still bounce ideas off of each other quite frequently, which which I love. Um, the reality is, is that um, in recruitment, especially, you speak to people every day and you ask them why they're changing jobs. And then a lot of time, a lot of aspects, you try and persuade them to switch jobs. And you hear things like, you know, I'm not progressing. I don't get along with my manager and all these different things. Thankfully, it wasn't that. The reality is, is um, now I can say this with hindsight. Um, it was the right time to move on because the team that I had created from scratch were ready to not have me there. Um, and I don't think I was adding as much value as, as I could have been because, mm. again, when you're in the same environment for seven years, becoming comfortable is, is very easy. But also um, the part which isn't heavily publicized is your, your frustration builds. So, for example, I was heavily motivated by the idea of, of that company exiting one day because we had phenomenal people. We had a great brand and a great structure, and we, we were a proper team, which, which the founders have set up absolutely beautifully. And you had the pandemic, which set us back a lot. We had the crash at the start of the year, which set back the industry a lot. And it was almost like you take two steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. It was just such a, an absolute grind where I could feel my frustration just building and building. And I don't know if you've ever worked in a company before where you find yourself getting really annoyed at really small things. And they're so insignificant. Um, like, for example, if someone, uh, I'm trying to think of one example. Um, one day someone came in like 20 minutes late, right? I'm late to everything, by the way. So I don't care about lateness at all. And I was getting frustrated <laughs> at someone being 20 minutes late, right? And they had a good reason. The trains were delayed, right? It wasn't just that they were being, you know, disrespectful or lazy. They had a good reason. But for the next hour, I was just so annoyed. I was pissed off. And I kind of looked at myself and I'm like, why do I care? It's, it's not a thing. So, again, seven years of, I guess, like that pent-up frustration, I think it affected what I was doing. But, again, most importantly, the team that I'd created – I'd helped um, a few people step up into management roles uh, in the first time in, in their career um, who are exceptional at what they do, like truly exceptional. And they were hitting you know, promotions constantly. They were catching me up in terms of seniority. And I had a conversation with, with a founder um, and I said, look, I don't think they need me as much anymore. And when I uh, eventually left, I said, guys, I, you can do this without me now. You guys have all the tools. And I was kind of blocking their progression in a weird way. Mm. Maybe I overthought it, but it was, it was the right time to go based on the fact that they were ready to step up and, and take that, I guess, um, next step in their career. But also my work output was dropping because I was getting frustrated over really dumb things. I think I was burned out, but I was burned out emotionally. I could still do the job and I was still pulling clients and still doing deals, et cetera. But emotionally, I was getting so frustrated all the times by such minuscule things. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't helpful for anyone in that environment. Mm. Um, so that's the first answer to the question. Do you want me to carry on? Because that was a long rant. 
it just got off some thoughts around it. It potentially sounds like it's a... It, so some people love change. Some people hate change because change to some means growth. To others, it means discomfort and things like that. And it sounds to you like it got to a point where not a lot was changing anymore because, like you say, the setbacks of COVID, the crash of the industry, things kind of going slower than maybe you expected. Do you think to some level those just that easily, that easily frustrated nature that you kind of developed was a result of feeling like things were a little bit stagnant, like your role was slowly being, air quotes, eroded by those you were bringing up and that was what led to a need for change? Uh, honestly, no, mate. No. Um, I, the, the ultimate frustration for me was that um, I was really excited about being part of an exit. Um, I had equity in the company. I was really excited about that journey of, wow, can you imagine if I'm getting X amount of percent of, you know, we had a target number in mind, an X amount of that target number, oh, what could I do with it? And, you know, I could go into like consulting, I could help other recruiting businesses. And it was something that really motivated me for a number of years. And it slowly just became further and further away. Um, again, because of because of COVID and because of the market crash, it was nothing to do with with stagnation or, or the work that, that the team was doing or the founders. It was just things out of our control that it just really ran me down because I was ready to be part of that story. Seven years mm. in a business is a long time. And to scale something from scratch with no one there to where it was at when, when I left um, was an achievement in itself. And I look back now and I'm so proud of, of what we did. But rather than at the time be proud of it and be happy and, and look at, I guess, that next step, instead, I was just frustrated that the exit wasn't closer. When in reality, mm. I should be focusing on things that were actually important rather than a pipe dream, ultimately. I completely get that. There's a classic saying a lot of entrepreneurs have, which is it takes twice as long as you think and costs twice as much. And that seems mm -hmm. to be true with everything. Everything just seems to go that way, whether it's developing a new product, whether it's exiting a company, whether it's closing that big deal that you've got in mind. Things do just always take way longer than you hope and initially intend, to be honest with you. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, completely feel, I completely feel that one as well. Um, mm -hmm. And then stepping from there then into that next point, then we spoke a bit about the whole managing a team in a whole new country, an established team already. You've got to come in. You've got to kind of show, hey, I'm not an absolute moron the founders have brought in here just to be a manager who's got zero experience or credentials. You had to, one, mm. kind of earn the respect of that team. Then you've got to manage them day to day and start making changes to that team. Talk mm. us through that process, because I imagine some people look at this and go, you know what? I've got a few years' experience as a manager. I've, been in, like, I've got an offer of being a head of sales somewhere or being a director somewhere, whatever it might be. But I'm really nervous about how I go into that for the first time. What's your take on it and how your transition's gone over to Discovered? Yeah, so um, like you said earlier on, it's one thing changing companies. It's another thing changing companies and changing countries um, and learning a brand new region where I don't have many, many connections from a work perspective and even from a friendship perspective. I don't know anyone here. So it was a bit of a gamble. Um, my thinking, though, was, um, first of all, I was really proud of what I did at Few and Far, building a team from scratch. And um, I'd taken over another department as well as was at Few and Far, the design department. Um, and I've got so much love for, for that team as well. But I made so many mistakes when I took over that team because I tried to copy and paste, which I'm sure, again, is industry standard where managers go, well, it worked here, so therefore I'm going to copy and paste it and do it here. It didn't. Yeah. It set the team back by six months at least. Great. So after going through that experience, the question I had in my mind is, could I do this again or could I do something harder? And for me, doing something harder is to take over an existing team that I think by their own admission weren't performing incredibly well, that there weren't a lot of promotions within the culture. 
And the founders were genuinely quite worried and said, look, you know, we've, we've got some amazing clients. We're doing some, some good business. The brand they've created is, is honestly incredible. And the reputation they have in this market, we have great individual consultants. But again, the structure so flat, it feels like it's stagnating ever so slightly. Hmm. Um, they pitched a real need for, for this role, which when I spoke to other companies, it was like, yeah, we're hiring a manager because we want to go and do these things and blah, blah, blah. But in this situation, it was almost so extreme where it's like, no, no, we, we really need this hire. We need someone to come in to take over ultimately permanent recruitment. Um, and they're first time founders. They've also never been managers before. So they also want to go through a bit of upskilling themselves. Mm. So the o- overall challenge itself was like, this is going to be hard, like super difficult. And again, recognition is one of my key motivators. Where I'm like, yeah, if, if I can do this, if I can go into a business in a country, you know, on the other side of the world in a different continent, working with people that have no idea who I, who I am and who my business is, um, where, again, I have no connections to just get these quick wins and pull clients really quickly and so on and so forth. I was like, man, I think I'm, I'm a good manager and I'm a good boss because I could have got lucky the first time um, with just hiring some exceptional people that, again, I delegated and they were amazing for me. So I was like, well, can I actually do this? Or was I lucky? So um, in terms of commanding respect the first time, I've got a piece of advice. And I was only told this last Thursday, so it's still quite fresh. Um, I came in uh, before I was due to start. And I came in just to kind of look around the office and meet some people, handshakes, and sit down with a couple of people in the team that, again, were a bit frustrated and they wanted more seniority, et cetera. So the founders are like, look, sit down with the new director you know, let's, let's see what we can pr- uh, plan before you officially join us. And um, the advice I've got for you is uh, you have to be careful of, of what you wear because um, apparently people didn't respect me because I wore a vest into the office, um, which in, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have done. So last Thursday, we were all out for drinks and they said, look, we need to talk to you about something. And I was like, right. Because our first impression of you was who is this freak like who is this who this wrong walking into yeah, the office wearing a vest top <laughs> yeah wearing a, a, a vest mate i was sunburned as well because it's bloody hot here Classic i was like who freak. is this yeah this this vest vest wearing bright red absolute sausage um and it, it sent me back a bit to be honest with you so when i came in initially i was straight away on the back foot because people had like this preconception of me that Again, I was some stellar drinking, like really old school sales consultant that, that didn't know what he was doing. Again, I don't know how they got this whole impression from, you know, a single choice of, of a vest, but hey-ho, we, we move on. Um, so when I came in, I had a bit of an uphill battle to be like, no, no, I do know what I'm doing. But the first thing that I did was I interviewed everyone that works here, everyone. So I took everyone out individually, and there were 26 people at the time, each for one hour. And I had preset questions that I'd written before joining the company. Um, I still have them on, <laughs> on my PC to this day, and I'm never going to delete them because I think it was important to get these answers. It was like, okay, what do you like about working here? What do you think you could be better about working here? Do you feel motivated? It's a really powerful, powerful question. Are you motivated right now? Um, most people will say no, unfortunately. You say, okay, but when was the last time you were? Why were you motivated? What was going on in that situation? So just interviewed everyone to understand more about them as individuals, but also, I guess, the, the collective of Discovered. 
And I think that that really helped because people got to know me on an individual basis as well. And based on the questions I was asking, it wasn't things like, what's your CV to interview ratio? And yeah, what's your billings this year? I didn't ask anything about that whatsoever. It was all about their experiences working in the business, their likes, their dislikes, the challenges, et cetera, getting to know them and making them feel heard that actually, if I can spot patterns and trends of issues from all these different people I've sat down with individually, I could present a case to the founders and we start off with our, our quick wins, our medium-term wins and our, our long-term wins. Mm. And that's exactly what I did. So by the end of the first week, I'd made some initial proposals and said, okay, we'll just change these minor things. Just so in my first week, so we'll just go nice and nice and minor. So for example, um, one of the key issues was that people didn't know what they had to do to get promoted. So promotion targets were ambiguous. It was, if you hit target for a few months, come and present a business case as to why you think you should be presented, which in hindsight, the founders know that, okay, we shouldn't have done that. Like it made sense in their mind. And I understand the, the, the concept behind it, but actually people need a very clear number and a very clear goal as to what they're striving for. So in that case, within the first week, I'd rewritten the entire progression chart and given every single person in the company, these are your targets and also the behaviors to match it as well. Like I said earlier on in this conversation of, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z, all of them non-financial related. And I rolled it out immediately. And now everyone was like, okay, this is my job description. This is how I'm being assessed. And this is if I know if I'm ready to be promoted or if I'm on the right chat for promotion, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm not going on a bit of a side rant there, but um, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting challenge so far. Let's put it that way. No, it's a really interesting thing. It's, it's the sort of thing I look at with, you know, again, previous sales leaders that we've had versus our current one is, came in and wanted to draw, like take a week or two to assess what was going on and then propose actions to take off the back of it. And I think that's a really good way because probably for you also, I don't know how confident you are, I imagine very, but going into a new role in a new country, working for a new team and knowing that they've got a massive need for this role and you've really got to deliver in that role. Otherwise, they'll you'll, you'll let them down. They'll assess you really badly because you wear a vest into the workplace, things like that, right? <laughs> to, to you, was there any degree of nerves on that side that you had to make an impact really quickly? And do you think your approach is the best way of going about doing it? I was absolutely shitting my pants. <laughs> um, I I remember the being stood outside of of the um, front door and I was just like, oh my God. Like even... I'm a, I'm a creature of habit. So even not knowing where I was going to sit was really bothering me because I was like, well, where's, where's my space, if that makes sense? Like, where's the place I can go to to be a bit more comfortable and, and kind of away from everyone and just have that, like, zen area, if you like? Um, I was so nervous. Um, but the, the key thing for me was that, um, again, learning from mistakes I'd made previously, um, I wanted to be really authentic right? Um, I think sometimes management can bring out a really diplomatic side of people, which is necessary to an extent. But I think I went too far with it where I wasn't being blunt enough in certain situations. And I wasn't being completely truthful with people about situations. So coming here, I had a break before joining the business. And I had time to think and clear my head and that kind of stuff. And I went, okay, when I stood outside that front door, I went, I'm just going to be myself. and I'm just going to be honest. It's like, as long as I'm honest with people, I think I, I, I've got a chance. But if I come in and I play a character and I try and be, you know, the best salesperson or the best manager, it's going to be a car crash. So I was like, I'm just going to be myself. I'm going to take the principles from my last place of what went well and what didn't go so well. 
and I'm just going to try my best. And um, fast forward two months. Listen, I've, I've <laughs> you have to identify who who believes in in you as a manager and who believes in the project that that ultimately you're trying to create because you don't just take over a team and go okay that's me done every manager i think has an idea of what they want that team to look like whether it's mm. in terms of size or market share or reputation or amount of recommendations whatever it might be and mine was that i wanted to be the number one technology recruitment firm in the middle east it's a super ambitious goal, right? Will we ever get there? It's always going to be subjective, but it's something great to strive for. And some people that I'd spoke to, they didn't, they didn't buy into it. And it, it didn't align with them. So in that situation, you have to, to break a few eggs, as the old saying goes, and make some, some tough decisions. But it was all about once I'd figured out who wanted to be here, and once I'd figured out who was open to change and working with me and giving me the time of day because some people didn't want to speak to me for my first couple of weeks. But a couple of people in particular that did not even say hello. So like, you're the new director, like, I just don't want to talk to you. Like, I'm going to avoid you. Ah, man, I'm still a human being. I'm still on my own. But yeah, the point is, is that I was very nervous, but I just wanted to be authentic, be honest and, um, and hope to God that it worked. And I think it's so far so good, but if you ask my team, maybe they said something completely different. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing, right? You never truly know yourself what others are thinking. No, but you get that, man. That's yeah. a really good little bit of reflection there. So thank you. We're coming towards the end, then. I love this part now. It's one of my favorite things that I always do is asking for a couple of stories from your career. Favorite story, mm -hmm. positive one, a good one, and then a horror story. Either something went horribly wrong with you or with someone you know. You haven't got to put names to it all the time, but give me one of each. Favorite mm -hmm. story and a horror story. Fine. Um, I it was thinking about this in advance. You're a real sadist, but let's see how we go. No, 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 of course not. I was really thinking about this stuff. And um, the positive story, it came to me straight away. Um, and it's one of my favorite moments of my career. Um, so I'll start with that one. The horror story, there's been a lot. <laughs> been a, like a hell of a lot. So, um, yeah, anyway, positive story. So um, in, in my last business... Um, I worked with a guy called Chris. I can say his name with, with absolute chest there. I worked with a guy called Chris, um, Chris Dixon. And he'd come from another recruitment agency and he'd done zero, zero revenue after six months of being in that company. And um, his confidence was low. He came to few and far um, and had an amazing manager in, in a girl called Megan. And um, he, he did his first deal. Yeah, we went out to celebrate and so on and so forth. But his target was to do six deals. And um, the day that he did his sixth deal, we were at the, the summer party. So we'd rented out like this beautiful, like, it's not like, like a castle, but like mansion. I haven't heard the word to describe it. Anyways, this beautiful place. We're all in the garden playing some, some summer games. And his candidate um, gives him a call and basically says, yeah, I'd like to. Um, I've been offered during the interview and I want you to know that I've accepted. And this was for his promotion that he worked essentially a year for six months at the last place, six months at, at our place. And when I say everyone around him was listening to his call and I remember his legs being spread wide goes, you, you can accept, you, you can accept the offer. And he, he was so emotional about it. Right. He wasn't crying or anything like that. But he was like, you can accept. He was so excited. And the entire team, like they started hearing and it was, at one point, the entire company, and there was about 40 of us at the time, everyone started hearing the conversation looking. And as soon as he put the phone down, everyone bundled him. 
everyone jumped on top of him in this field, right? And was so elated for him, so like over the moon because he's one of the hardest working, nicest guys you'll come across in sales. Um, so having that moment of everyone celebrating as a company with him being like, well done. And having, again, seeing the emotion in that situation and feeling that emotion, mm. my favorite moment of my career by a distance, um, as soppy as it and sounds. And I imagine he still remembers that as well. And probably to this day, that still motivates him. I, I hope so. Um, and if he's not motivated by that and he's listening right now, then hopefully he'll remember that moment and be motivated again because, yeah, <laughs> he's exceptional what he does. But, um, yeah, that moment was incredible. Amazing. Love it. Love it. Let's hear the horror story then. Let's take it down a notch. <laughs> there are so many. I, I genuinely don't know where to start. Um, horror stories. Um, Spin the wheel and pick one. I, I, yeah, I, I can tell you a, a horror story, but I think it's quite funny in hindsight, but it wasn't funny at the time. Um, <laughs> it's the first one that comes to mind. I, um, I worked with this guy once. I won't say his name. It's, it's very unlikely that he will be listening, but just in case. And this was during my, my first spell as a manager. So he was indirectly reporting to me and I was doing some mentoring work with him, but we didn't get along very well because like I told you at the start, I was, I was a bit of a dick. Um, power went to my head. I was just a bit dismissive of people. Anyway, he's, um, he's doing this call and I can hear him closing this candidate, right? And he's like, yeah, so, okay, you've had your interview. You know, you're excited about the business. You want to join the company. A cool call. And he was like, okay, so how are the other companies looking? Or how are the other processes? And he was doing such a good job of selling against these other businesses. He was closing this candidate incredibly well. But I noticed about 20 minutes into this conversation that the interview hadn't happened yet. So what had actually transpired is that um, the, the guy in question had got his times mixed up. Oh, and right. thought the interview was an hour beforehand. However, the candidate had a separate interview an hour beforehand. So this guy had spent 30 minutes doing an exceptional job of closing this candidate, job. right? Right. And saying about the other companies, you need to pull out the processes, etc. And this candidate was like, yeah, I agree with you completely. I've got another interview coming up uh, right now. Uh, I think I'm just going to just bail out of it. Oh, God. He puts the phone down and rather than me, whilst he was on, on the phone, say to him, mate, diary, like rather than try and help him at all, I, I waited for him to put the phone down and, um, and people look at me going, that's a really good call. Really good call. I'm like, thanks. Thanks. Thanks very much, man. Yeah. I appreciate that. And someone's like, there's just one problem. He's like, what? I said, he hasn't had the interview yet. And you saw the color just seep out of his face completely. Oh, and he just went pale. And I went, so what you seem to have done is uh, persuaded your candidate to pull out of your process. <laughs> and he just sunk into his chair. Lo and behold, five minutes later, he gets an email through saying, hey, just so you know, I'm not going to be attending the interview today. Because again, this was over the phone, right? So the candidate must have thought it was the other recruiter. So... At that point, I just sat out and just went, good job, man. <laughs> good job. But, well, well done. That's amazing. So the thing is, the people in the office, like, they, they, were, all, <laughs> they were all laughing, right? It's a funny situation. It's such a rare occurrence. But that, for me, is, is one of my, my favorite horror stories because the chances of it happening are so minute. But the moral of the story is, is if you're in recruitment, double-check your interviews have happened and double-check your debriefing for the right role 
don't sell against other interview processes unless you <laughs> don't, don't know. Don't sell yourself out of a deal, God, yeah. <laughs> exactly, but um, yeah, he's, he left recruitment very shortly after. He realised <laughs> it wasn't the right job for him. <laughs> well, I was going to say, if he was still in recruitment, I can guarantee he wouldn't make that mistake again. <laughs> no, no, he, he left like, yeah, he left like three weeks after, I think, and yeah, there was no going back for, for him. Like, he was just known as that guy that, that did that. And it's unfortunate, but, but yeah, that's probably my favourite horror story. That is so good. I absolutely love that. Uh, that one stuck with me for a while as well. Cool. Quick <laughs> then to wrap things up. Uh, a few questions for you to go through nice and quick. First one, favourite sales book or podcast? Um, my favourite uh, sales book, I would say Coaching for Leadership, the one that I mentioned earlier on. Um, it's amazing. Very long, but it's incredible the way that you're your um your talk stuff ultimately podcast i'm gonna sound really basic i really like stephen bartlett's one um diary of a ceo mm. i find it fascinating like even listening to someone like Krebs, the rapper like Krebs and conan he scaled a business from scratch right in in the baby space listening to that story it's yeah super motivational nice. i love it yeah i love the episode with the prep band rush that was a really good one as well really um, good mate really really good favorite linkedin influencers to follow say top three or three in particular that you really like I hate all LinkedIn influencers, um, <laughs> sincerely. Reasonable. I would not recommend any of them because they're all chat GBT merchants. So no, I hate them. <laughs> there was a really funny incident yesterday actually where someone who's a, like a sales influencer, 42,000, whatever it is, followers, put something out there saying like, oh, 100K a year isn't a decent salary anymore. It's enough to have an average lifestyle. And a bunch of people dogpiled on there saying, well, it's a great way to shit on those that are making 30K a year, mate. So nice one for that. Mm. And the guy, to be fair to him, did come out and say, you know what, actually, you are right. Me and my team got that completely wrong. You know, I always had my team. Because it turned out some guy commented saying, stop, stop being a dip to those making 30, 40K a year. The guy who commented that got blocked by the guy that wrote the post. And obviously that caused absolute uproar when this guy posted about it. And the guy then comes on saying, you know what, actually, it's the team of mine that managed the account. They block anyone that tends to offer really negative comments because it just isn't really a good thing to have on the post yeah. but you are right the tone of the message was completely off and i apologize so if it's not chat gpt it's ghostwriters that are fucking it up for you as well right yeah if it's if crazy. someone claims that they are a linkedin influencer in any way shape or form honestly like they need to reevaluate their own lives like just just stop just stop just shut your mouth stop no i i, I spend so much time on linkedin man like i'm a recruiter every day I see just shit posted of people yeah. talking about like, oh, give people a chance when hiring and I was late to an interview and no, 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 just shut up, shut your mouth. No, it didn't happen. <laughs> just uh, So it's a real sore spot for me. It really bugs me. Yeah, honestly, mate, I know exactly what you mean. There's been, there's been so many funny cases where I can think of um, like jokes that get made about it. It's like, oh, I was on a way to interview once and I saw a dog at the side of the road that was hurt and I stopped and made sure it was okay and then went to my interview and I sat down and sat across from me in the interview chair was the dog. Just like, just, just dumb shit like that. That's, that's the level of quality of crap that you see in some influencer posts. I do agree with you. Like, I love LinkedIn because it has helped us win deals. We made some amazing hires through LinkedIn through the networks that we build. I've even like raised investment through it, arguably, as well. Yeah, I would never sit there and call myself an influencer. I just don't think it's a thing to do at all. No, not, not a chance. Tool, but don't make it your whole personality. Love that one. No. I really um, like the Twitter where it's um the state of LinkedIn where they just take oh, screenshots and they just collate all of these places, uh, all these it's, posts. It's glorious. It's so good, mate. It's so good. I, I look at it all the time. They've got a book out now with all the posts they've ever taken as well. So yeah. if you really want to make yourself laugh at Christmas, it's the one to grab. <laughs> um, and the last one is kind of a three-part question. A top tip for aspiring managers, which we've talked through quite a lot today. A top tip for current managers, maybe those that have been doing it for 18 to 24 months. And then a top tip for sales leaders or directors of businesses. So 
to talk through those. Let's go for the aspiring one first. Yeah, aspiring managers, um, what I touched on earlier, right? So it's it's team first. Um, it's, it's about celebrating successes and it's about accepting that people aren't going to be as good as you. And that's perfectly okay. You have to let people make mistakes, even if it costs you money. And trust me, it will cost you money. It's one of the other things about not becoming a manager, right? You make way more money not as a manager. I'll tell you that with absolute chest. So it's going to cost you money. <laughs> Embrace it. Accept it. It's short-term pain, long-term gain. So, yeah, what I said earlier, basically. Um, current managers only have been in the role for, say, two years. And they're looking at how um, to get better, take that next step. Yeah. Speak to your team. Um, when Again, speaking from experience, when you've worked with people for, for a couple of years or had a team for a couple of years, you make a lot of assumptions. You make assumptions about their motivations, which we as human beings, our motivators change constantly, almost on a, a daily or weekly basis. Um, additionally, how they're, they're feeling about the project that, that you're working on in terms of the direction that the team is heading in. Um, understand what, what they like about the current setup and what they think could be better. So giving them an open platform. Really just take them out of the office, have a chat with them, and just ask them questions. Um, and they'll give you some inspiration because these people will probably want to be stepping up into management where, well, well I'm a manager. I want to tweak these different things and give you some good ideas. Um, and yeah, I just think it's a, a, a no-brainer. Speak to your team, but seriously speak to them and listen to their answers. Love it. Nice one. And the final one then for sales leaders, directors of companies, maybe those that are managers of managers. Mm -hmm. um, managers of managers. Uh, first of all, it's a tough job. Um, your, <laughs> your end goal um, as a manager of a manager is to facilitate your own exit from the business you're working in. You need to accept it. Um, it's hard. It's quite depressing in some aspects. But if you are truly good at your job of managing managers, it means you're upskilling those managers to be ready to not need you. So that would be my advice, as depressing as that sounds. But once you embrace it, it means you can understand how you can add more value whilst they have you around before you, in turn, then take your next step moving forward. Love it. Really good. Nice and succinct as well. Last kind of little call then is a call to action from your side. If people want to ask any questions, want to get in touch with you, LinkedIn clearly is not the place. Where would they do it? <laughs> Listen, LinkedIn is great for me, but if you, no, no influencers, please. If you're an influencer, <laughs> if you like influencers, don't contact me. I don't want to hear from you. Um, no, so anyone can reach out to, to me on, on LinkedIn. Um, again, at the moment, like I said earlier, I'm working at Discovered in Dubai. I know a lot of sales professionals at the moment um, are based in the UK in particular, the ones that I know of at least. I know it's raining. I know the, the weather is, is miserable. And I know that the tax man keeps coming for your pennies. If anyone is interested in coming out to, to Dubai where it's still very sunny and you can earn tax-free cash, then again, feel free to ping me. Um, ideally have recruitment experience, but even if it is general sales experience, I'd still love to chat to people. Awesome. Reese, that was a really fun and probably think the longest episode I've done so far. So you were right at the start. You do love a good talk. But honestly, mate, it's been amazing. So thank you so much for that. No problem. Thanks, mate.